we've moved on to the chapter 6 of the Sermon on the Mount, so it's probably a good time to remind ourselves there are no chapter and verse divisions in the Gospel, at least not in the Greek version. The first readers, and certainly the writer of this text, wouldn't have thought of it as chapter 5, big break for a snack and maybe a nap, and then chapter 6 like we do. Those divisions were added in the 16th century by a French monk, and it was to make the Latin text easier for the priests to read and worship, and the chapter divisions mostly went along with the page. So for Matthew and his readers, there is no distinction or separation between what we read last week and our scripture lesson for today. The ideas flow one to another. Love yourself, love your neighbor, love God. And then today... What do those ideals look like in practice? If you're going to love yourself, love your neighbor, love God, then what does it look like in the practice, the everyday of your life? It's a pretty simple three-pronged practice of faith. Prong one, give to the needy. Prong two, pray. Prong three, fast. These three expectations of Christians are consistent throughout the Gospels. Take care of the poor, pray with sincerity, and fast. Almsgiving has been a central staple of Christianity since the very beginning of the church. In Acts, Luke tells us about the early church community as he knew it, where everyone brought from what they had and shared with each other as each had need. So no one went hungry, and the widow was no longer alone. Stephen and Barnabas started a ministry caring for the poor in Jerusalem, which is central to Peter's spreading of the gospel throughout Israel and Palestine. Matthew's community must have functioned in much the same way. Each person brought money into the central collection of the church, and Matthew, ever the watchful tax collector, distributed to those who were in need. And even today, If you go to many churches throughout the world, in the back of the church is an alms box where you place your monetary offering for the use of the church. And it wasn't just for Sunday morning. Anytime you visited the church, you were encouraged to drop a coin or a dollar in the box to help the church serve the poor. Which is also, by the way, the origin of the Boxing Day holiday, where you would take boxes of gifts out into the street and give of your bounty to folks less fortunate. Prong two is prayer the most central aspect of Christian faith. I haven't counted. This may be just a random statistic I made up, but Jesus spends approximately 300% of his time in prayer. Matthew always reports Jesus running off to pray somewhere, getting on a boat and going out in the water to pray, going off in the mountainside to pray, running out to the desert to escape temptation and to pray, going out into the garden to pray. You cannot have a strong and robust faith without the most essential element of prayer. It's like trying to run a marathon without eating or working in the garden without a glass of water. Praying is the lifeblood of faith. Prong three is to fast. Fasting is probably the prong to which to our ears sounds the most impossible. Fasting is so countercultural in our community. I'm not even sure we'd be able to fast if we tried. I did it for 30 hours once to raise money for charity and our sponsor let us drink boost smoothies for breakfast each day so we wouldn't get too hungry. The act of fasting is an intentional act of giving up something which has begun to replace God in your heart, or choosing an ask which costs you something, time, comfort, money, societal position. There are so many ways you could fast. It turns out choosing to willingly do without something is clarifying. It shows us what we value and what we hold to be important. 
There have always been community which place fasting as a central element of their spiritual practice because it does so much good. It helps us to remember our blessings. Plus, the chocolate cake tastes really good after 40 days with no sugar. Caring for the poor, praying, and fasting. That's all Jesus asks his followers to do. They're easy words, but they're hard to accomplish. But Jesus makes it more complicated. In order to accomplish these three tasks, you are supposed to do it in community with one another and quietly and humbly. When you give alms, it should be in secret. When you pray, it should be in private. When you fast, do it for your own spiritual growth and not so other people notice. Of course, five minutes ago, at the beginning of our journey through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told us to be salt and light, to not hide our light under bushel, but shine for all the world to see the goodness of God. Jesus told us in his sermon we are to be the salt of the earth, flavoring every dish we fall into it and making it taste like God. Of course, sermons and preachers never contradict themselves, so how is Jesus reconciling these two ideas together? Be the light of the world, but don't let anybody see you do good works. Be the salt of the earth, but don't pray in front of people. Tell all the world about Jesus through your actions, but don't, you know, tell anyone you're doing something for God. Which is a challenge in the world of the church, because if nobody knows you exist, and about all the cool things you do, then how can you do more cool things? Many, many things in the Christian life are not about absolutes, and there is often no rule of thumb which gives you clear-cut rules about how exactly to behave and act. The truth is, most of these things are complicated. It comes down here, as it does with almost all the things in the Sermon on the Mount, to your inner motivation, the state of your heart. Jesus is cool, I think, with almost any expression of faith, as long as it is done with the right intention. And so there will always be gray lines, blurred lines, between the difference of self-promotion and the sharing of the good news of the gospel. There will always be an edge over which you tip into standing on the street corner crying out about how awesome you are and offering a lifetime guarantee for faith and doing the things which need to be done to invite others into your community. Perhaps it's a line best seen in contrast to what service in the name of Jesus is not. I was listening to a podcast about the state of the evangelical church. It's one of the regular rotations of podcasts I listen to. And they all offer a different perspective on the state of the church. When one of the hosts raised the issue of a church which offered a money-back guarantee on your tithe. It started out innocent enough, a 90-day tithe challenge. Can you, the church says, give your full tithe? That is a full 10% of your income to our church for just 90 days. The last I saw, the average Christian donated somewhere around 2 to 3% of their income. So the full 10% is a stretch. For some, it may be a budget buster. And the church had an answer for that. First, it's just 90 days, so anyone can sacrifice to help for 90 days, right? It's an opportunity to fast and to give sacrificially and to think of others, and surely 10% isn't asking too much. And I don't so much have a problem with any of that. Jesus did say to give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Where it goes off the rails for me and for the Sermon on the Mount, is the next step. The church was offering a money-back guarantee. 
If you donated your full 10% tithe for 90 days, the church promises you, promises you, guarantees you God will bless you in a material way during those 90 days, and you'll be able to see it. It all comes from a misreading of Malachi chapter 6. But whatever the justification, this guide, this promise, is that if you sacrifice, God will materially bless you. That if you do anything at all, God will materially bless you. And that misses the entire point of the gospel. It ignores literally everything Jesus ever said about being a Christian. The practice of Christianity. God does not promise you a smooth road if you do the things which are asked of you. Jesus says to the rich young ruler to give up his material gains for the sake of the gospel. That you should be willing to lose your life for the sake of the gospel. Heck, two weeks ago, Jesus was telling people to offer their cloak to someone who had already taken their coat. And so how can this church have gotten the gospel so wrong? All of which has led me to wonder if the church in the West is in the state it is. Because for so long we have mixed up Christianity with our human desire for power and for wealth. We've mistaken the gospel of service to others for one which proclaims service to ourselves first. And promises of material or spiritual health, blessings in return for your faith, have far too long dominated the Christian communication to the world. And so the people rightfully doubt whether this faith has anything of value to say at all. We have for so long used the name of Jesus to justify whatever we want, whatever feels good, to the point where I think Jesus has a real case to rebuke the church. The gospel of Jesus doesn't speak of power, except to say its pursuit is corrupting. The gospel of Jesus doesn't speak of fame, except to say it will distract you from good works. The gospel of Jesus doesn't promise you blessings or a life free from pain, except to say Jesus has walked that road already and will lead you through the valley of it. The church has become the people on the corner, contorting our faces for effect without any consideration of the effect such contortions have on passersby. No, we shouldn't hide our light under a bushel, and we should be the salt of the earth. I believe what you'll find is when service to God is first priority in all things, when living a life authentic to the gospel is at your core, God's light can't help but shine through you. You won't need gimmicks and money-back guarantees. Maybe that's why the church is exploding in the global south, in Latin America, and in Africa. Maybe that's why there are now more Presbyterians in South Korea and Ghana than here. We've confused being loud with being right and service to self as service to others. What would it look like if we chose a fast? How would our church and our culture change if we really, truly, sacrificially served others, as Jesus called us to do? It only takes a few grains of salt to change the taste of food. We just have to choose a life of service. Choose authentic prayer. Choose the fast. And maybe, for the folks we meet, we can change their view of what an authentic Christian life contains. We can be a few grain of salts to change the world.